The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Today's scripture reading will be from uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment, and more, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to see you. Glad you're here. One, let's pray. We'll get into God's word. Heavenly Father, um, the passage we're going to look at here in just a few minutes seems impossible to us and how we need it. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us uh, see with new eyes and that you would teach us the secret. Teach us the secret that's in this passage. And Lord, I pray you'd help me. I I'm no expert at this. I pray you just help me to teach this faithfully and clearly and that you do a work in us that none of us could do in our own strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 4 of Philippians, and we're going to try to discover and learn an incredible secret. It is the secret of contentment. Contentment. And as soon as I say that word... In a modern American context like ours, we're frustrated. We're frustrated. We're confused. Contentment. What is that? It seems nearly impossible to understand and accept. We're trained, I think, by our culture to be discontented. Contentment doesn't seem possible. More than that, there's so many difficulties in our lives. Whereas I even say, hey, let's be content. Some of you might even be angry that such a thing is brought into the airwaves because you think, not fair, not my life, not possible. And yet Paul says, there's a secret here. And think of the things that keep you, or at least we think, from being content. Could your job be better? Could your career be better? Uh, what about your health? Could that be better? How about your family relationships? Could any of those improve? Or could your love life be better? 
You could have one if you don't, or if you do, that, cer- that person could certainly improve, am I right? You got all these reasons to keep you from being content. Look at these difficulties, and they're real. I'm not demeaning any of them. Plus, it's Christmas, and Christmas in America often means, what's it mean? You don't have enough. It's not possible for you to be content. I watch football on TV. That's pretty much the only thing I watch on TV. But I do watch football, and I keep seeing these commercials where evidently some people buy surprise BMWs for one another (laughs) and open them on Christmas. Are we supposed to live like that? And if so, how can we ever be content? It's not possible. It's impossible, right? Go ahead and tell me. It's impossible to be content, except it's not. It might be supernatural, but it's not impossible. I really think it's, it's a gift to be content. It's also a command. Remember the 10th commandment, don't covet. What's the opposite of that command? Be content. Be content. Well, before we try to think about what contentment is, let's remember what it's not. Contentment that we're thinking about today is not apathy. It's not giving up. It's not not moving forward. It's, it's not no longer caring anymore. It's not just saying, okay, fine, I can't, whatever. It's not dropping your responsibilities. It's not apathy. That's not what we're talking about. It's also, this one's going to be harder for you. It's also not based on your here and now circumstances. Go ahead and argue with me internally. The reason you're not content, go ahead and what what comes to your mind? I'm not content because there's a circumstance. And I just want to dig underneath that. This text is telling you your circumstance isn't really what's affecting your contentment or not. Do you believe that? It's not your circumstances. Here's how we know. Look at chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. Chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. Look what Paul says. I've learned in whatever situation I am. Did you see that? To be content. And in case we didn't understand, in, in case we didn't understand verse 12, I know how to what? Be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret. Contentment in any circumstance. You remember Paul's in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard. He has people who hate him. He has no romantic relationship that we know of. He's not rich. He's under a possible death sentence. And he's saying that in those circumstances, he's learned the secret of contentment. In fact, you can't touch it. It's his. He's got it. Doesn't that blow your mind? Would you like to have that? Contentment's not apathy. It's not based on the here and now kind of circumstances. What is contentment? Well, contentment is a state or attitude of peaceful satisfaction. A state or attitude of peaceful satisfaction. I was thinking about being perfectly full after a delicious meal. Perfectly full after a delicious meal. And your host says, would you like some more? And you could eat more, but in this moment you say, no. And what do we say in the States? We say, I'm good. Right? Would you like more? I'm good. I'm good. I don't need the food that's left on the table. I'm independent of it. I could eat more, but I don't need it. Why? I'm satisfied. I'm full of what I need. A, a state or attitude of peaceful satisfaction, that's contentment. And the secret we want to learn, and I need to learn it with you, is that we can have contentment like that through any and every circumstance. 
In fact, we should. In fact, we should. So we're finishing Paul's letter in Philippians this morning. It's bittersweet to me. Haven't you loved going through this letter? I've loved going through it with you so much. And this morning, we are coming to the section that really has the historical inspiration for Paul ever writing this letter in the first place. You notice, as the text was read, it's a letter of appreciation. He's expressing his gratitude to this church. Uh, Paul was in prison, and the Philippians showed him incredible generosity while he was there. You, you were dependent on the, on the gifts of your friends when you're in a Roman prison, and they sent what he needed, and they did it through a member of their church named Epaphroditus, and Paul is so full of appreciation, he's expressing it. You can hear that, right? It's very heartfelt appreciation. But you may have kind of heard the flavor here. He doesn't really want them to give anymore. I have all I need. I'm good. Please don't give anymore. And we remember, as an apostle, Paul did not like to take financial help for his own ministry. He would sometimes, but it wasn't his general practice. He didn't want to. And you can see why that would be important for that place and that time. No one could say, hey, Paul, you're in this for the money. So he wouldn't take support because nobody could say that about him. No, not me. And so he would work to support himself. He also didn't want to be a burden on those he served. Sometimes he would plant churches in, under huge persecution, under poverty, and he did not want to tax those people out. Other reasons as well, but you know this is his general practice. And so in this warm relational section, he's kind of saying, I love you guys so much, thank you so much, and don't give me anymore. He doesn't want to say don't give me anymore to the to the tone where they feel slighted or like he's not appreciating it. No, that's not it. But he's also, you can stop. And in this kind of relational warmth is the secret we're thinking about today. Contentment in any circumstance. So I think there's three main parts I want to focus on today. Number one, we're going to look at two surprising examples. Paul surprises us and the Philippian church surprises us. We're going to look at them. Two surprising examples. Then we're going to see the source behind their satisfaction. Why are they able to be like this? What's the source behind their satisfaction? I want to identify it. And then we want to try to see into the secret. See into the secret of contentment. So surprising examples, source of satisfaction, see into the secret. First, the examples. Number one, we see from this passage that the Philippians were strangely generous. You see this in verse 10. You see it in 14 to 16. He says, hey, in the very beginning, you supported me. You supported me in Thessalonica. That was important. There was a lot of persecution there. Um, there was a break where you couldn't support me. We don't know the details of that, but Paul is, seems to be saying, I absolutely understand why you couldn't, and it was so amazing that you started again. Maybe it was their persecution. But 10, 14, 15, 16, they're all about, you supported me so generously. Thank you. Thank you. And more than the resources, he appreciates their hearts towards him. You see, thank you. He says he really emphasizes their concern. You thought of me. You had me in your mind. This letter's been full of love, hasn't it? Warm, warm love. You, you cared about me. You thought of me. You were concerned about me. You wanted to know I was okay. He says you even, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Kindness. Their, their generosity and their entering in with his situation. It's beautiful. And it reminds us of the legacy of these Macedonian churches. There's a place in Corinthians where Paul writes, and he is uh, raising money. But it's not for himself. He's raising money for poor Jews in Jerusalem. 
And in the, and in the 2 Corinthians, he talks about how the poor churches of Macedonia responded to this. I want you to see it. Look at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 2. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 2. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So already you're thinking, what does grace look like in people's lives? God's love. Now look, verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of what? Generosity. Philippians has been doing this to us every single week. 2 Corinthians is going to do this to us again. It's going to hit us in the nose because it totally crashes all our expectations. Do you see these two pairs? Number one, they had a severe test of affliction. And then what was right after that? Their what? Abundance of complaining. Because that's what I do when I'm under affliction. That's not what the text said, is it? The severe test of affliction and their abundance of what? Joy. Can you have an abundance of joy while your circumstances are terrible? Evidently. Look at the next pair we don't understand. Their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. I can't give because I don't have enough and I can't be happy because my life is too hard. And Paul would say, have you met the Macedonians? Their life's hard. They're joyful. And they don't have much. And they're generous. How did they do that? Do you see this? Surprising. Surprising generosity. Now let's look at Paul. Surprising examples. Verse 11 to 12. I'm not speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. It's quite possible, friends, that with his right hand he's penning this and with his left hand is chained to a Roman soldier. And he's saying, I'm cool. I'm good. How can this be? Verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Wow. Wow. I appreciate your concern, he's saying to the Philippians. I'm not in need. I love your heart for me and for the Lord, but I'm good. I've learned a secret. I can be brought low, and it hurts, but I'm independent of it. It's not my life. I'm not broken. I'm not saying I always enjoy it, but it doesn't get at who I am. I'm separate of it. I'm satisfied even in the midst of it. Moreover, boy, in the wisdom here, I can be content even when things are going well. It doesn't inflate me. It doesn't enslave me. Uh, it doesn't seduce me. I know when even things are going well, eh, this really isn't my life either. I'm independent of success. I'm independent of sorrow. I'm not saying I don't enjoy the good things and I don't weep over the hard things, but they don't get me. They don't own me. On the inside, I'm content in something deeper. He is free. He is free. Friends, if our circumstances control our joy, our peace, our contentment, we're slaves. To a master, are you in control of all your circumstances? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? There's so much we're not in control of. Most things in our lives are not in control of. I'm not in control of how other people act. I'm not in control of the, these big, mysterious things in the world. I'm not in control. If, if, if our contentment rests on those things, we will be slaves, out of control. 
But if a contentment goes deeper than that, and underneath that, we'll be free. Where there can be joy and peace and contentment in any situation. Unbelievable. Why were these people like this? Why were the Philippians so surprisingly generous? Why is Paul so surprisingly content? Well, let's look at Paul's answer first. Look at verse 13. You've heard this one before, I'm going to presume. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Have you heard this one? Now, what's funny is you may have heard it from an athlete after he scored a touchdown. You may realize this verse is used and abused in Christian pop culture. I remember playing Little League and really wanting to hit the ball and going, I can do all things through Christ. He strengthens me. I can do all things. And I'd still strike out. Ah, are your promises true? Or you think of time running out in a basketball game and the guy with the ball, I can do all things who strikes through Christ who strengthens me. But what if his defender is saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? <laughs> now God's mind is blown. He, ah, ah, they both claim my promises. Well, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Don't let anybody use that verse like this on you. You saw the context. What does it mean that he can do all things? It means he can be content in the worst of situations. And it means he can be free in the best of situations. That's what it means. I'm content in any situation. I can be brought low. I can get sick. I can be rejected. I can, be, I can get fired. I can lose. And I can be content. I can win too. I can go on vacation. I can be encouraged. I can succeed. I can see fruits. It doesn't own me. I can be criticized. It doesn't hit my heart of hearts. I can even be encouraged. I'm not going to get inflated about it because I've got something deeper than all of it. Him who strengthens me. Who is that? We know. In Philippians, we know. Who is it? It's Jesus. There is something about knowing Jesus to where his strength just emanates into his people, and there's a strength that comes from who he is that is actually possible because you have him to be content. Church, we can be content in any circumstance because Jesus is our circumstance. Jesus is your circumstance. Why are you called beloved in every New Testament letter, it seems like? Because the best title for you is those who are loved by someone else. That's just your name. You're loved. Paul has said throughout this letter, right, Christ is the treasure. He's taken hold of me. We're his. That's your story. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's yours. Which means if you're a Christian and you're not content, there's strength right outside your door. Right outside your door. There's a secret to learn just around the corner. If you're not a Christian, I just want to say, oh, become a Christian. (laughs) You'll never find the strength for what you need in this life. There's nothing here that's going to hold up. But Jesus, he, he invites anyone to repent and trust in him. That's Paul. He's content because of the strength Jesus supplies. What about the Philippians? We'll look down at their kind of core verse in this passage. Verse 19, why are they so surprisingly generous? Verse 19, Paul says, 
My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Look what God is like. Is he rich or poor? How rich is God, church? It's all his. Whatever you're imagining, it's all his. He's rich. And look at the details here. My God will supply every need, and then these two words are precious to me, of yours. Do you ever feel like God's really good at the broad needs of the church? That he's way too busy to care about yours? Because you're small and insignificant. And I won't lie, you are small and insignificant. So am I. No, it's really good to know that. You're small and insignificant. Try to live like you're not. That's called pride, and you'll fall. Just go ahead and admit it. You're small and insignificant. It's cool. That doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It does. And he'll supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. When you think God is too busy to care about your small needs, I know you're feeling respectful. You're actually insulting him. You think he's stressed out like you are. You think his calendar's too full. He's too, he's too, he's too, he's trying too hard to deal with big important things and he can't handle little small details. I'll get to you later, kind of like my, me and my kids on Sunday morning. I can't help you right now. I'm busy. God is not weak like I am. He can do everything all the time and it's not hard for him to be God. The huge big things, the little tiny things, he, he has the ability to see and care about all of it. He's making the leaf grow and he's moving in nations. He cares about every need of yours. He supplies every need. Now let's plug all this in together. Look at this promise. He'll supply every need of yours. And where's Paul right now? He's in prison. And sometimes he's hungry. What were the Philippian... What was this, the, the circumstance of the Philippian church? They were poor and under severe affliction. Are these things contradicting? God supplies every need of yours. Some, some pastors will tell you, hey, if God supplies every need of yours, you'll never be poor. You won't get sick. You won't be under affliction. Because isn't that what, what it means for God to supply our needs? Think deeper, church. One of our main problems with contentment is we think we know our needs better than God does. I needed this. You didn't give it to me. I know it hurt. I know you felt like you needed it. But who's to say what you really need? I want to tell you that even when one of God's people suffers and dies... He was giving them everything that they needed. Oh, yes. Everything that they needed. What do you need? What do you need? So look at these two examples. You got Paul, surprisingly content. You got the Philippians, surprisingly generous. What's the source that makes them satisfied enough to be like this? It's an all-sufficient God who gives strength to his people and supplies their every need. Did you see it? Paul says, I'm content in every circumstance. Why? Jesus is with me. He's my strength. The Philippians, they're generous even when they're poor. Why? Because God supplies their every need. They have this all-sufficient God 
who provides for them and supplies for them, and they are satisfied in him. Can you see it? And the idea went through our brains, and maybe you're pondering it. Maybe you're thinking, no way, this is ridiculous. It's not enough for my needs. Maybe you're thinking, I want to know more. Let's try to press in. Let's try to see it. Look at how verses 19 and 20 work together. One more time, Philippians 4, 19 to 20. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 20. To our God and Father be, what's the next word? Glory forever. Do you see connecting words there? 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Glory in Christ Jesus. And then verse 20, to our God and Father be glory. To get into the secret, you got to see the glory. You have to see the glory. Paul's talking about the reality of glory and the result of glory. What, what do we mean? Do you know what glory is? How would you describe glory? It's the ultimate in beauty, majesty, or worth. It's the beauty that makes you tingle and makes you want to get in and get closer. It's the happiness that seems just around the corner and you almost smelled it, but then it passed you by. It's that thing you've been hoping for, you can't put a name on it. Glory. Your heart longs for it. In all your anxiety and acting out, you're wanting this, you're hungering for this. I love reading C.S. Lewis about this idea of glory. And he was musing about heart hungers. And he thought, you know, it's, it's strange and amazing that we are people who are thirsty. And yet, what does this world seem to provide lots of? You're thirsty, and guess what's in the world? Water. And not just water, all sorts of glorious things you can make with water. Like coffee. And many other varieties. But you're thirsty and this world is full of water. Or do you ever feel hungry? Yeah, all the time. Guess what this world tends to be full of? Food. You think of our design and you have desires that seem to also be regularly met in the context in which you live. You're made to have certain hungers that then in the world around you is made to satisfy those hungers. You have eyeballs, and there's a glowing star giving light. And you have a nose, and there's delicious smells, and you have a tongue, and there's amazing, isn't it? You are made with desires, and also the world is made with fulfillments of those desires. But what if over time you find that there's something more you desire that this world can't give? Look what C.S. says. C.S. Lewis says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. No, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. What is the glory you're longing for? It's God. It's God himself. 
and his glory. He is glorious. Church, don't forget to take God's godness seriously. His godness seriously. If you, if you are bored of your concept of God, come on, take yourself seriously. What's wrong with, what's wrong with the equation? Your concept of God. Your concept of God. If he, if he looks boring or not good enough, or you don't have any fear of him, it's not awesome to you, use your brains that he gave you to ponder what God's godness means. He has no needs. He's all-sufficient in perfection. He's the creator of all things, the source of every pure pleasure. He is beauty. He is justice. He is worthy. He in himself is love, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, eternally delighting in one another. What can satisfy God? God. Your heart can only be content when you see that he's the glory. He's the glory, and you see and have him. But here's the thing, right? This is, this is a great picture of our sin. We have been looking for and inventing glory everywhere but where it actually is. We don't believe God is good or his word is true, and so we want to replace him, usually with ourselves, and that is always a bad trade. Look how the prophet Jeremiah put this. Jeremiah 2, verse 12 and 13. Be appalled, O heavens. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate. By the way, why is he talking to the heavens? Well, he's, this is personification, right? But who knows how, glor how glorious God is in this personification? The heavens know. The heavens declare the glory of God. You want to see billions of stars and sunsets and clouds and all the rest. God is glorious. The heavens know how glorious God is. The heavens are smarter than we are. Because look at verse 13. Be appalled, O heavens, verse 12, verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. What's the number one? They've forsaken me, and what does God call himself? The fountain of living waters, a torrent of cool, fresh, sweet water for your thirst. So our sin number one is to go, no, you're not satisfying. That's the core sin. Rob, steal, kill. Bitterness, unforgiveness, it all comes from this course in God's not good enough. And if God's not good enough, there's a vacuum of glory need in your heart. You're going to try to fill it with something else, and that's going to destroy. First sin, you've forsaken the fountain of living waters, and then when we do that, what do we do? We hew out cisterns for ourselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Imagine some halfway, sandy, dirty, muddy well, and there you are on your knees trying to Lick a little moisture out while you get the grit out of your teeth, while right next to you, waterfall, waterfall. And you just, no, I don't want that. And you, it's insane. And guess what God's word is saying to you and me? Yeah, it's about right. Do you see where the glory is? It's in God. So in God's grace, look what God does. He does the most loving thing he could ever do. What's the most loving thing he could ever do for you? He does a lot of loving things for you. Uh, he provides for your needs. Isn't that loving? It is. Uh, he forgives you. We're going to get to that. Isn't that amazing? It is. Are those the best things? 
What's the best thing God can give for you? Because he doesn't really love you if he doesn't give you the very best thing. What's the best thing he can give you? Well, remember, where's the glory? It's him. So what's the best thing God can give you? Himself. He can let you in. He can let you see. He can let you see. And this is God's grace, isn't it? This is God's grace. Jesus, as we saw in Philippians 2, sets aside his glory to become empty to the point of death on a cross. And there he's paying for what you and I deserve for dishonoring God's glory. He's doing it for the Father's glory. He's he's showing us what the Father is worth on the cross. The, The horrible sin it is for us to say to God, not beautiful, not valuable. It's an eternal condemnation. Jesus is paying for that on the cross. And because he always lived for the Father's glory, he was vindicated in resurrection. And the offer is, if you trust in me, what I've done is yours. What I've done is yours. I've paid for your sins. I've earned for your forgiveness. And not just what I've done is yours, but what I have is yours. And who does Jesus have? The Father and the Spirit. Look, look at how Jesus prays for his people, John 17, 24. It's a picture of Jesus' love. I had somebody tell me in kind of a little discussion the other day that if God loved him, God would let him have a lot of money. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> okay, do you ever feel that way? If God loved you, he would give you what? The way you answer that's really important. I'm not saying don't pray for healings and help in this life. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying don't even pray for a more rewarding career. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying don't lament. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying what's the ultimate thing God could give you if he loved you? Look how Jesus prays, John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to what? Here's Jesus' Christmas present. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus was the Father's pleasure from all eternity. Jesus is ultimately, eternally glorious, beautiful, weighty, worthy, magnificent. And so he and the Father are delighted in one another. The the person is the spirit of that delight. They are delighted. And the best thing Jesus can give you is to let you in and let you see. What's going to happen if slash when you see that? When you see God as your glory in Christ, there can't help but be contentment and generosity. When you see it, there can't help but be contentment and generosity. God is glorified in Paul when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because what's coming out of Paul in there? Isn't Paul saying Jesus is better and Jesus is enough? Isn't that what he's saying? And he said it through the whole letter, isn't it? He actually said to live is Christ and to die is, anybody remember? Gain. Why is it gain to die? Come on, that's backwards. When we die, we lose everything. I lose my health. I lose my human relationships. I lose my, my savings. I, I've, it's a total loss. It's like I'm going back to naked and wrinkly, except there's no potential anymore. No, it's gain, Paul says. Why is it gain? He gets to see Jesus. 
And so Jesus is glorified when we hear that because we go, that's strange. He really thinks Jesus is better than everything else. And Paul would say, yes. Is he? Is Jesus that good? Yes. Do you have Jesus in the midst of all the other pains? You do. And if you have him, you can be content. Again, it's not apathy. It's not this uh, kind of Gnostic, I don't feel pain or care about the sorrows of the world. It's not what we're talking about. But your heart in this deep place is peacefully satisfied. God is glorified in you as you see him as your treasure. Not only is God glorified in you, God is then glorified through you. That's what 419 to 20 was about. God's going to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God's going to be glorified in you as you're delighted in him and satisfied in him. You see him for what he is. Beautiful. And now God will be glorified through you. That's why Paul then says, verse 20, may God be glorified. To God be the glory. When Paul says that, is he, is he, is he saying to the church, okay, gather all your glory and let's go give it to God because he doesn't have enough. That's ridiculous. So what does it mean to give God glory then? It's to admire and admit and show his glory. That's what Jesus meant in the Lord's Prayer. Father, who art in heaven. What's the next line? Hallowed be your name. Is he praying, God, we're praying one day you'll be holy. We hope you make it. No, it's show us. Show us. Show us your beauty, your holiness. And then show the world through us. If you're content through hard situations and you tell your friends about that, God will not only be glorified in you, but what? He'll be glorified through you. Look how Paul talks about the Philippians. Back to chapter 4, 18 to 19. Paul says to them, I'm well supplied. I received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Look what he calls the gifts they sent. What does he call them? A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Look at, look at how this comes. The Philippians delight in God and they're content in him. And because they've received his grace and his love, they are full of love for Paul. And even though they don't have very much, they're going to give generously to him because they know they're satisfied in God. They're not giving to try to earn God's favor. They're not giving to try to give because they have to. They're giving out of this contentment they have in God. And as they give it, Paul says, this whole process is beautiful to God. It's a pleasing offering. He sees it and he loves it because you're seeing who he is. And you're valuing him and you're living out of that so that the world sees who he is. And anything that glorifies God, God is thrilled with because God loves his glory. Because he's God. And he should and he must. And the most, don't get offended by that. I mean, if you must, okay, if you're running against a train, he glorifies himself. But remember, that's the, that's the, that's the best way he can love is to let you in on his glory. And so God is glorified in you. You're content in him. 
and then he's glorified through you as you live out of that in contentment and generosity. I like how Psalm 50, 15 seems to summarize all this. Look at Psalm 50, 15. What does God say to his people? What's he want you to do? You're in the day of trouble, what should you do? Call upon me in the day of trouble. And then God, he's rich. Every spiritual, every, every resource of any kind you can imagine, it's all there, it's all in him. Call him in the day of trouble, what's he gonna do? Guaranteed. I will deliver you. Now pause, does that mean if you're sick, he will instantly heal you? No. What's it mean for him to deliver you when you're sick? Let's say, let's say it's terminal and you're gonna die. Did you all know you all have terminal illnesses? It's called being sinful humans, right? Just give it time. You're all, I'm going to die. And so when that time comes, what's it mean for him to deliver you? What's it mean? It means he will be near you. It means he will satisfy you in the truth of his glory and enable you to glorify him to others. And then as you walk through that door, he will hold your hand and death will not be the end. You will be his forever. God has never not delivered any of his people. Again, we want to add distinction. Does God heal miraculously sometimes? Sure, praise God, he does. Does he provide medicine and doctors and relief sometimes? Sure, he does, but what happens to those people after they get healed for a little bit? You're coming back around the circle. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. And what's the heart of the believer as we taste God's deliverance? You will glorify me. And that's the nature of our relationship with an all-sufficient God. He has no needs. We have every need. He's sufficient. We look to him as the all-sufficient one, and he meets our needs. And as he does that, we praise him because he is glorious, and as he saves us, we give him glory. And isn't that the sweet spot? Isn't that the sweet spot? You find you're a sinner and you're under God's wrath and there's no way out and then you see the gospel and you see everything you need for righteousness was in the life of Jesus Christ. Is that right, church? Everything? And you see, you know you need forgiveness and you don't wanna stand before a holy God based on your works and you see then the cross and Jesus paid for every sin. Is that true? Every single one? And then Jesus rose from the dead and he now sits at the right hand of the Father and you have, as Ephesians 1 says, every spiritual blessing in him. What has God not provided us? We were poor, we were blind, we were dead. He's made us alive, he's made us see, he's made us heirs. So we praise him. Here's how Paul concludes the letter, verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. I like that. I like that. It sounds like some of the soldiers who had to be chained to Paul had to hear the gospel and some of them believed it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As we, as we wrap up this letter, let's remember one thing. Who's our righteousness? Jesus. Who's our joy? Jesus, who's our peace? 
Jesus. How do we know we're loved by God? Jesus, who's our contentment? Jesus, we know where the glory is. Let's love one another. Let's share the gospel. And may the grace of Jesus be with us as we trust him. Let's pray. Father, you are all sufficient in your glory. We're blind so often. Can't see it. Look away. Will you help us, please, to see again the all-sufficiency of your glory and teach us, God, to be content in you? Father, as I say these words, I tremble because I know many of my friends here are suffering horrible things. And who am I to say, be content? But um, we just humble ourselves, Lord, to look to you, Jesus, and we know that you've suffered in every way as we have. Um, and you did it so that we could find our ultimate treasure in you. We just do that miracle for each one of us. If anyone's not a Christian here, let, let today be the day they, they look up and say, oh, I need you and trust you. And for my brothers and sisters who are suffering, let them find new relief and contentment in who you are and your love and your promises. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.